you guys like music? You guys love music, don't you? I see your Facebook all the time about quoting different songs and whatnot. I love music. Um, music is uh, sort of God's tool to, I think what I would say, um, how God used music in our lives is to stir our affections towards Him. And so that's partly why we sing, sing is to stir our affections towards God. And then this is the part where we actually dive into Scripture to actually stir your mind and your heart towards God as well. And so what we're doing right now is we are uh, just starting a series called Acts. It's a really creative title, I know. Um, but basically, we're not just taking you through the book of Acts. We're actually taking you through the book of Acts. But also, our desire is to teach you how to study the Bible for yourself. And so we've used this analogy that I'll get to in just a second. But let me uh, just pass these out real quick. We've got some discussion question sheets. And if you're a leader, intern, volunteer, whatever we call you around here, um, or if you're just a student that wants to lead a discussion, come grab a discussion question sheet from the front. I will drop those right there on the floor and uh, start to make you do that. But I don't know, there's no, no other place for them, so there we go. Well, come grab one of those. Uh, we've got some leaders out today. Uh, one of those is Ryan Johnson, who's running a marathon in Fort Worth. So he's actually running right now, so be praying for him that he is smarter next time and chooses not to run. So we've talked about um, this analogy of going to a restaurant. We've said things like uh, that many of you guys love to go out to eat. You love to go to restaurants. You love to be catered to. And I'm the same way. I love restaurants. Um, I love restaurant food. I love trying out new restaurants and so on. But here's the reality with restaurants. You can go to a restaurant every day of your life but not ever learn how to cook, right? In fact, I've gone to restaurants, and I've actually gotten worse at cooking, okay, because I can't measure up to what they do, so I just give up, right? And so you can go to restaurants every day of your life, but never learn a thing about cooking. That is the same approach that many of you guys take to come into church. Many of you guys come to church, and you have the restaurant approach. You show up, and you're just like, okay, Dave, feed me. Okay, Gary, feed me. And that's really how we approach it at times, too, as pastors. We, we kind of prepare a message behind closed doors, like in the kitchen. We come out and we're like, here you go. Here's my presentation. And that's how many of you view just going to church. You see it as a restaurant. And if you don't like something that we say here, you go pick another restaurant where they have better food. And that's how we tend to operate. So our, our goal in this whole series is not just to keep spoon-feeding you guys, but to really let you see how to feed yourself spiritually. Because if you guys do not learn how to feed yourself spiritually now, before you go to college, you're going to starve spiritually. And you cannot rely on just a pastor or someone like me to just feed you. Okay, You can't just have one big meal a week and that's it. You've got to feed yourself continuously continuously throughout the week. And so we're looking at uh, the book of Acts. We're also teaching you guys how to feed yourselves spiritually. Um, now, uh, I know many of you guys make excuses like, um, if I were to ask you, hey, why don't you read the Bible for yourselves, I would get an array of excuses. And some might go like this. Well, I just don't really like to read. How many of you guys would say that? You don't like to read? You hate to read. Raise your hand. A few of you guys raise your hand. I, I was that way when I was your age. I hated to read which is why I scored low on the SAT tests, okay? I hated to read. I was about, like, playing sports and whatnot, 
But I'll tell you this. If you say that you hate to read, first of all, um, to be really blunt, you're a liar because you love to read magazines. You love to read Facebook status updates. You love to read um, things online, really anything online. You love to read text messages. You love to write text messages. So we can't say that you just don't like to read. That's an excuse. Others might say, um, well, you know, I just don't quite understand what it means. Now, I get that because it is hard to understand. I get that. But again, I will say that you're, you're an excuse maker because you guys study song lyrics all the time. Do you not? And you read them and you're like, I have no idea what that means. But it sounds so cool. I'm going to go post it on my Facebook status update so everyone else can comment on these cool song lyrics that I have no idea what they mean. Okay? Most songs, we can't really know what they mean, can we? But you guys study songs, you read lyrics, you're like, yes, I feel just like this guy in the song. I'm going to post that on my Facebook status. That's how we operate. And so we can't just make excuses about just why we don't dig into the Word of God. Now, um, I want to give you some context from last week as we look, look at the book of Acts. Uh, turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2 if you have your Bibles with you. Or your iPhones, iPod Touches, iPads, whatever else you nerdy geeks bring with you on Sunday. Um, I've got one too. I've got one. I love this thing. I love it. I'm not going to lie. So turn to Acts chapter 2. I'll give you some context from the last uh, couple of weeks. We looked the first week at Acts chapter 1 where uh, Jesus tells the disciples um, their mission. And uh, basically what happened was after the resurrection of Christ, Jesus spent 40 days with his followers. 40 days. month and 10 days. Now recall... What question, the moment where Jesus is about to ascend, he's about to leave the earth and, and go be with his father, what question did, he, um, did the disciples ask him? Remember? Acts chapter 1? Do you recall that question? What question did his disciples ask him? In Acts chapter 1, remember? Two weeks ago we talked about this. Hey, I don't mind awkward silence. I do not mind. What did, he, what did they ask him? Something about the kingdom of God. What do they say about the kingdom of God? Come on, people. Okay, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples asked Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom of God to Israel, right? And how did Jesus respond to that question? He said what? He said, it's not for you know the day or the hour, that kind of stuff. But he also said, you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was his answer. Then he floated up like magic and he was gone. Then there were two angels standing there and said, Hey, what are you guys looking at? To which I would have said, A guy just floated up in the air. What do you think we're looking at? Okay? So this whole thing happens. Jesus ascends. And, uh, and that brings us to chapter 2. Okay? Um, now, refresh your memory. Uh, who wrote the book of Acts? Remember? Not Paul. I heard a lot more Pauls than I heard Luke. I've got to work hard with you guys, man. Okay, Luke wrote the book of Acts, not Paul. 
Paul wasn't even a Christian yet when this book was composed. And so, um, Paul's getting converted until like the middle part of the book. So, uh, Luke is the one that wrote Acts. And, uh, who's the person that this book was written to? Remember? Who was this book written to? The guy's name is in the first part of the book. Theophilus. Yes. Theophilus, you're, you're getting better. Um, now, what I want you guys to do this morning before we dive into today's passage is I want you guys to, uh, Read this passage just kind of on your own. If you can, read it twice through. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. Okay? So, Anthony, play some, uh, or Matt or someone, play some music back there so it's not like awkward silence or whatever. And, uh, and you guys read this passage through on your own, not from the screen, but on your, at your Bibles. Um, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. And start now. Just on your own, quietly. Okay, what I'll do, I want to go ahead and read this as a group now. And the reason why I did that was because I know when you read passages from the front and you see it for the first time on the screen, that oftentimes I can sound like just Charlie Brown's teacher up here. And you're like, what did he just say? What did he just read? So I want you to read it like for yourself first. So you have it kind of in your brain. Now we're going to read it aloud as a group. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I have to say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. I love that line. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Peter basically says, these guys aren't drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. I love that line because he didn't say they're not drunk because they're Christ-following believers. He says, it's too early to be drunk. What are you, crazy? Right? So, um... What I want you guys to do is to uh, go through questions one through four at your tables, and your leaders should have a discussion sheet there in front of them. Now, I'm going to warn you guys, 
the, the questions we're looking at in this series sound kind of vague at first. They require you to use your brain. Okay, really think about these questions. So don't be stunned by silence or be afraid of silence. Um, that's just part of the deal with, this, with these questions. So questions one through four, go. Let's, let's discuss this for a moment. Now, I know the first four questions might seem like just meaningless details, but I want you to hear this. Whenever you're looking at a story, you've got to understand, like, what's happening in the actual plot before you understand how to interpret it and how to apply it to your own life. Now, I would liken it to um, if you guys ever rent movies, which might happen from time to time, I guess. Uh, do you guys ever read the back of a Blu-ray uh, Holder. You ever read the back of that? You read like the summary of the of the story, and so once the movie begins, you can start to understand. Okay, this guy's in the CIA. Here's what's happening, and you start to put those little bits and details into the greater framework of the story. And so that's why I want you guys to think through just the details of the story first before we dive into what's actually happening in the story. So, so who are the main characters? We've got uh, verse one. It says they. Now, who is the they? The disciples. But it also may include the 120 people mentioned in Acts chapter 1, which also includes the disciples. So, possibly about 120 people when, we, when it says they. Now, also, um, we've got the Holy Spirit. I would say that's a pretty big character in this story. Uh, we've got devout Jews dwelling in Jerusalem from every nation. We've also got people that are scoffers and the mockers, the guys that are going, ha, ah, they're drunk, look at those crazy drunk people over there. We've also got uh, Peter at the end here. Those are the main characters of the story. Now, these events took place about 50 days after Jesus died. So Jesus died, resurrected, um, about 40 days pass, Christ is on the earth, then he ascends, then 10 days pass between his ascension and the day of Pentecost, Okay? Now, penti means what? Five. So, um, about 50 days after Passover was when Pentecost took place. Now, anybody find out what was Pentecost? What kind of a holiday was it? Okay, Festival of the Harvest, which might be kind of like our holiday of what? Thanksgiving. Exactly. Um, If you recall... That's what Thanksgiving celebrates. Most of you guys think of it as like football and turkey and sleep. That's it. But Thanksgiving is where you celebrate harvest, and that is kind of like what Pentecost was. So if you imagine uh, the scene, um, the disciples just had Thanksgiving. Everyone's passed out from tryptophan, and uh, they just watched the Cowboys lose another close game. And, um, and so everyone's just kind of in that like feast mode, right? And they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up. It's been ten days since Jesus left the earth. And they're just doing this waiting game. Christ said, stay in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit to you. And all of a sudden, imagine the scene. Like they're in the room kind of passed out from taking their naps and so on. And, and then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just shows up. In this rush of wind. This, this, this picture that's created of these tongues of fire. And so you can imagine um, you know, Christ spent 40 days with them. And they think he's going to kick out the Romans and hand control of the land back over to the Israelites and set up an earthly kingdom. 
But Jesus says, stay in Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and he ascends, and then for ten days they wait. Ten days they wait. Now here's why all this matters, this whole timeline of events. Watch how these events follow the Jewish calendar. If you recall, what holiday was at the same time as Christ's death? I just said it a while ago. What holiday was that? It was Passover. Now you recall what Passover was commemorating. It was commemorating the, the tenth plague in Egypt where God said, if you, don't put, if you don't slay a lamb and put this blood on your doorpost, I will kill the firstborn of the family. And the point of that whole picture, the idea was the Holy Spirit would come and pass over the house if it had blood on the doorway. The whole point of that picture was to point to Jesus eventually. It was, it was to say, eventually there will be a final Passover lamb in Jesus Christ. So when does Jesus die? He dies at the time of Passover to connect those two events together. The death of Christ and what it symbolized, the Passover lamb. Christ was the final Passover lamb. And so essentially if you're a Christian today, then God is passing over you. He does not judge you for sin because that sin was taken out upon his own son, Jesus Christ. You move 50 days later to Pentecost, and it's the feast of the harvest. It's a time of celebration. It's like their Thanksgiving. Everyone's having a good time. They're making sacrifices in the temple to commemorate this holiday. And this is a harvest holiday, right? So here's what's really amazing about this whole story. The Holy Spirit shows up, comes in power, and it's 120 people. Why does he do that, the Holy Spirit? He does it so they can go reap a harvest, a spiritual harvest. How amazing is it that we have a God who writes the gospel into the calendar? Even in the calendar, we see this whole thing play out where God orchestrates it, where at Pentecost, which is symbolic of the harvest and the gathering, that God comes in power at that moment and connects it with what's happening spiritually, where the Jews would become transformed and they would go on to reach the Gentile word for Jesus Christ and reap an immense harvest. And you guys are part of that harvest. How cool is that? That God writes the gospel into the calendar so you will not miss it, so you will not think that it's something else. We also, um, I want to go to questions uh, five through eight here. And what I want to do is have you guys discuss these, these next four questions. And we'll discuss those as a group in just a moment. So we'll do questions five, six, seven, and then go ahead and discuss. Okay, once again, I want to get some feedback from you guys. Uh, first of all, what is really hard to understand about this passage? What is hard to understand about this passage? What do you read and go, wait, what in the world is that? Fire. This picture of, it says, tongues as of fire. It's this crazy picture. Like I'm picturing like dragon breath 
I mean, people just breathing. If you take it literally, that's what you would picture, right? Um, yes, the most obvious one is the speaking in tongues situation and, uh, and fire, right? Those two things we don't experience in a normal day occurrence, do we? Now, um, here's what happened with speaking in tongues. Basically, the, the text says these men were Galileans, and it actually makes note that they're Galileans. It says they were from Galilee, therefore everyone is questioning, how is it that these Galileans are speaking all these other languages? Because here's what they knew about Galileans. Galileans were typically not very well educated, uncultured, only spoke one language, which sounds a lot like us, right? Texans. Um, everyone has that place that you make fun of. Uh, so Texas makes fun of what, Arkansas? Is that correct? Um, where I'm from, we make fun of West Virginia. And so, um, but people made fun of Galileans. It was this idea that Galilee is just this other place. They didn't really know anything over there. So the fact that these Galileans are speaking other languages, they knew it was a miracle because there was no other explanation for that. They were like, they don't teach that in their public school system, so they, this must be some kind of miracle from God. So these guys are speaking languages that they, everyone knows they don't know just from education, so they know it's a miracle. And so they recognize that right away. Now, um, the deal with the fire, that's a part that's kind of weird, isn't it? Fire in the Old Testament represents what? Presence of God. Excellent. There was a pillar of fire over the tabernacle, over the temple, and so there was um, this idea that wherever this fire was in the Old Testament, that's where the presence of God dwelled at that moment. And so when you think of it in those terms, it's basically a metaphor or a picture of the presence of God coming down on these people. I don't know if they actually saw literal fire or if they just saw what, I don't know how they described that, but they described it as that. And so what it's a picture of is God's presence coming down on these people and indwelling himself in a different, powerful way than before. And you have to know that as a Christian, as a Christian, you have the presence of God in you if you're a believer in Christ. So metaphorically, or picture, picture this, that essentially that, that fire that's talking about here in the Old Testament, but also in this passage, is essentially over you. The presence of God is with you if you're a believer in Christ. Let me ask you this question. How does that change what you do with your free time? How does that change who you spend your time with? How does it change what you do with your time? Just knowing that God's presence is with you wherever you go. The Holy Spirit, if you're a Christian, is indwelling you. That radically changes how you live your life if you recognize that God is living, dwelling in you as a believer. Um, What stands out to you in this passage, I'll say uh, what stood out to me as I read it, Um, in spite of the miracle, many people stood by and mocked and made fun of these people. Now, on the one hand, I would kind of understand why they would. Because they don't understand what's being said here. But they stood by and they, they mocked the miracle. And as, as I said before, I love Peter's response. Um, he says, it's too early to be drunk. Even if they were drunkards, even drunkards aren't drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. There's just no way. 
So they can't be drunk. We can't say it's drunk. They're just drunkards. So I love Peter's response, but here's what else this part of the passage teaches us. Is that people in this story, they mocked what the Holy Spirit was doing in the lives of these people. And the same kind of people still exist today, don't they? That people still mock today. People still make fun of you for being a Christian. Um, in fact, I'll even say this. Um, that some of you mockers and scoffers are probably in this room right now. That some of you in this room right now, as we sit here, you, you mock God by your lifestyle. You mock the Holy Spirit by your lifestyle. You mock other Christians. And so the Holy Spirit is doing work in people's lives, changing, transforming people, and you sit by and you mock. You make fun of. You scoff. And so what Peter does, I think as a response to this, is amazing. And we'll expound on that in just a little bit. So this passage says some, some amazing things about people. It says that, that people are going to think that you're crazy for being a Christian. People are going to uh, make excuses not to believe. Just like in this story, people in your life are going to make excuses as to why they don't believe. I'll even say this, that some of you guys in this room have done the exact same thing. You've made excuses as to why you don't believe in Christ. You've attributed the works of God to something else. Well, that, that's just a bunch of crazy Christian stuff. I'm not going to get caught up in all that stuff. And so just like in this story, you've attributed the works of God to some other thing. And in the process of that, you've mocked God. You've mocked the Holy Spirit. You see, guys, unbelief is a heart issue. It's not just a mind issue. These people saw a miracle very plainly, plain as day. Unbelief is a heart issue. For some of you guys in the room right now, you don't believe because you don't want to believe. It's not an issue of evidence. It's not an issue of seeing all the evidence put together and, and, and seeing the, the truth of the faith. For you, it's an issue simply of just, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want to believe. Therefore, I'm not going to. Unbelief is always a hard issue. It's always a hard issue. Think of the Israelites when they came out of Egypt. They saw tons of miracles. They saw God drop food out of heaven. And they still walked away from Him. Unbelief is always an issue of the heart. And so the question you have to wrestle with is, are you someone who's just using the intellectual excuses as an excuse not to follow Jesus? Is that what you are doing? Because if it is, this text shows us that you've got to deal with the heart issue. You can't just sit there and look at just the evidence to say, well, I just don't believe that because I don't see the evidence. You've got to be honest about this. It's a heart issue. And it might be a heart issue in some of you guys right here this morning. This passage also tells us about God. Um, I want you to see this. This is amazing. This passage shows us that God is a God who keeps His promises. He promised the Holy Spirit would show up, and the Holy Spirit showed up in an amazing way. Now watch what else happens. During the Feast of Pentecost, the Jews from all over the world that spoke different languages because they'd been dispersed throughout the empire, 
because of captivity and that sort of thing. They came to Jerusalem on a pilgrimage to celebrate Pentecost. Now watch what happens. God waited for all these foreign Jews to come back to Israel to unleash His power through the Holy Spirit and the disciples so they would all then see it, then go to their homelands, wherever it might be, and spread the gospel. And so as you'll see in a moment, on this day where Peter preached the gospel, 3,000 people came to know Jesus. They went from 120 to a megachurch. There's about 3,000 people at TBC on a Sunday. Imagine going from 120 to a megachurch in one day. These people then leave Jerusalem, go back to their homelands, and like a bomb, the gospel just takes off. Look at how God orchestrated this whole thing. God is a God who provides. God is a God who keeps His promises. If you're someone who's here today and you're doubting, If God is that kind of God, take faith today, knowing that God is a God who keeps His promises to us. We've got three more questions to go through. Go ahead and and do uh, 9 through 11, and we'll... uh Okay, now I'm going to cut some conversation short, and I apologize for that. But um, we're running a little short on time today, so I want to make sure we're pacing this right. Um, question nine we asked was, are there any examples to follow in this passage? The, the most obvious one to me, of course, is Peter. Think about Peter. Recall where Peter was 50 days before this instant. What was he doing before Christ died on the cross? Remember? He was denying that he even knew Christ. He denied him three times. Then he's miraculously transformed through the Holy Spirit. And here we have Peter preaching to 3,000 people plus the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter standing up to the mockers. Peter standing up to the scoffers. That is definitely an example I think that we can follow, is it not? We also asked the question, what principles can you apply to your life? You go to the slide, Anthony, where it says uh, principles we can apply. What I want you guys to learn how to do in a passage is to read a passage and build a bridge from the story into your life. And so a couple of things that I pulled out from this passage were this. God uses sinful people to carry out his work. Look at Peter, someone who denies Christ. Then he's preaching to thousands of people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know why God does that? You know why God uses sinners to carry out his work? People like me and you? So that he gets the glory. Because imagine if God only reserved his work for the people that are like really, really, really good. What would that say about God? That would just say, okay, God, just salvation is just by works, right? It's not based on grace. That would glorify us. It would not glorify God. So God has set things up where He lets sinners do His work to show His grace. To show that He, His work, is what matters. To show that faith in His work is what counts. We also see in the story that when Christians live boldly, big things happen. When Christians live boldly, big things happen. I want you to meet uh, someone, go to the next slide, actually go to the next two slides. 
This is a guy in Afghanistan. Go to the picture there. His name is Saeed Musa, and he is a Red Cross worker in Afghanistan. And he's been a Christian for a while now. He converted from Islam to Christianity. And when he converted from Islam to Christianity, the Afghan people actually arrested him, put him in jail, and said, we will kill you if you don't convert back to Islam. Now, you and I are thinking to ourselves, okay, well, this is pretty easy. I mean, you can, like, pretend to convert back to Islam. Then when you get out, be like, ah, just kidding, right? You could try that. But here's what this guy did. He was physically abused, sexually abused. He was told that if he did not convert back to Islam, he'd be put to death. And you know what he said? He said, I don't care. He's got six kids. He's got a wife. And he said, I don't care. Put me to death. I'll read to you what he said in a letter. He says, I laughed and replied, I can't deny my Savior's name. Because my life is just service to Jesus Christ. And my death is going to heaven where Jesus Christ is. I'm 100% ready to die. They pushed me much and much. This is a translation. I refuse their demands. So here we have a guy who's a modern day Peter. A guy who could probably still go to heaven if he pretended to deny Christ, maybe. But then, you know, go back on it later on. I'm not getting into all that right now. I'm just saying that that's what we would probably think to ourselves. And he said, you know what? I don't care. Take my life. It's worth it to me that people hear the gospel through my life and my death than that I deny Christ right now in this moment. I also want you to think about, as you think of this story, what are some potential idols that keep you from obeying this truth? Because here's the deal, guys. If we don't try to identify sin in your life as a result of studying Scripture, then studying Scripture is useless and meaningless. So whenever you open the Bible, you've got to look at it in the sense of what sins can be exposed in my life as a result of what I'm looking at here, and what can I turn from and turn towards Christ? What can I repent from? And so the things that I thought of in this passage were the idol of comfort. For me, I want to be comfortable in my faith. I want to have, I don't want to go out of my way to witness to someone else. I just want to be who I am, comfortable, leave me alone. An idol of comfort. Idol of unbelief. We don't really believe that God's going to give us the power in situations like this to speak through us. The idol of unbelief. How about the idol of acceptance? We are so consumed with being, with being accepted by other people that we are willing to pretend like we're not Christians in order for other people to like us. For so many of us, we would rather offend God than offend other people. Now, I'm not saying we need to be a jerk about being a Christian like, you know, become a Christian or you're an idiot. You know, nothing like that. I'm just saying that we are more okay with offending God by being ashamed of Him than sharing with other people and possibly offending them in the process. That's where I'm at. That's where you're at. We've got to confess. We've got to repent and turn from that. And so Peter boldly stands up, preaches the gospel. And I'll read this last passage to you in verse 36. He says, 
at the end of his sermon, he says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will will call. With many other words he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted this message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So Peter's sermon had one point, and it was this. Jesus is the Messiah. But there are two possible reactions to that message. You either scoff and make fun of it, like some in the story, or you choose to believe it, you repent, you turn towards Christ, and get baptized. There's no alternative to those two options. If you're someone who is not making fun or scoffing at the Christian faith, out in the open, with your words, the fact that you've rejected him is a scoffing and a mocking in your heart, and you've got to turn towards him. And my, my encouragement today is to, don't, is to not wait. Don't wait any longer. Like the people in the story, turn toward Jesus today. Ask him to save you today. Because he will. Just like he saved 3,000 people, he can save you today. He will not wait, and neither should you. I want to pray for you. Yeah, we thank you for just the story of Acts and just what your Holy Spirit did in the church. God, I thank you so much for just letting us see our own sin, letting us see how we fall short, so that we can come into a right relationship with you, God. I pray for anyone here this morning, God, that does not yet know you as their Savior. I pray they would put their faith in you today. They would start following after you today. They would forsake the ways they've been living, and they would want to follow you with everything inside of them. That you would transform them from the inside out. I pray that you would um, help this place to be a place of, of community and family where they can really live out their faith in boldness as well. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Hey, I know it's late, but um, what I want to do is I want to have the, um, the guys... Walk through that door outside, and I'll meet with you just briefly to follow up to kind of what happened last week with the speaker that came here last, last Sunday. So guys, head out that door. Uh, the ladies can go out that door over there. So um, guys out the back door over here, we'll take